The Old Testament lesson for the seventh Sunday of Easter, Exaudi, is from Ezekiel chapter 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th and 16th chapters. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Think for a minute about what it's like to have a heart transplant. Obviously, if you're going to have a heart transplant, you need it. It's not something that you do just for fun, just willy-nilly, but you need a heart transplant because you have a bad heart. Now, oftentimes, uh, you end up with a bad heart through no fault of your own. Bad genes, bad luck, just happens that way. Sometimes, though, you end up with a bad heart because of bad habits. Overeating, overdrinking, too much smoking, those kinds of things can do damage to your heart. And so you end up with a bad heart, and when it gets bad enough, sometimes the only option that's left, once they've tried all kinds of other surgeries, stents and pacemakers and whatnot, you have just one option, a heart transplant. Now, a heart transplant is a, a terrible thing to consider, especially because it is so dramatic and so violent. It's the kind of thing that you would really only want to do if you absolutely needed it. But think about how bad it is to have a bad heart, to ha have a heart that doesn't work properly. It keeps you from doing all of the things that you want to do. You're short of breath, you're weak, you don't have stamina or endurance, you're not able to go about and enjoy the outdoors, to play with your grandkids, to do all the things that you would love to do because your heart is weak. And so the hope of a heart transplant is a beautiful thing in the face of a heart that is frail and dying. It's a wonderful, wonderful possibility. But a heart transplant, again, is a dramatic and violent thing. A lot of terrible things have to happen in order for you to have a heart transplant. In the first place, somebody else has to die. That heart has to come from somewhere. And when you consider that, it really makes you pause, slow down, and experience some gratitude for what you're about to receive. If you're going to have a heart transplant, you say, this is not something that I should do without gratitude, but with circumspection and thoughtfulness. But it's also a dramatic thing because in order for them to put that heart inside of you, what do they have to do? They have to put you to sleep, and they cut your chest open, and then they hook your arteries and your veins up to a machine that pumps blood in the place of your heart, and then they stop your heart so it's not pumping anymore. And then they cut it out, and they put the new heart in, and then they turn off the machine, and they shock the new heart in the hopes that it will start pumping blood in place of that machine that was helping you before. And then they sew you back up, and the recovery is dreadful, right? It's such a painful surgery because they have to rip open your chest in order to do it. It's dramatic and violent. It's not, again, it's not the kind of thing that you do just for fun on the weekend, but you do it because you need it. Because without it, you're going to die. And so, of course, thinking about that, thinking about how desperate you are to have a heart transplant and what great cost it was, the cost of somebody else's life, of course, the life that you live with your new heart is a completely different kind of life than you lived before. It's a life that is formed and shaped by gratitude. How can you not go day by day thinking about how it's somebody else's heart inside your chest beating away? Somebody else whose parents or children or grandchildren don't get to enjoy their presence anymore because that heart is now in your chest. How could you not go day by day just full of gratitude, overwhelmed in fact? It would be a completely overwhelming experience, I think. And of course, if it was that you had a bad heart on account of bad habits in your life, I imagine you wouldn't just go back to those bad habits, overeating and overdrinking and smoking too much. You probably wouldn't smoke one bit. You probably would watch every bite of food that went into your mouth 
no fat, no sugar. It would be all healthy all the time because you want to take care of the new heart that you've been given, that new heart which you did nothing to deserve, which belonged to somebody else, which somebody else gave their life in order to give you. You would take every precaution you could in order to protect that new heart. You'd exercise. You'd keep that heart strong and fit. You'd want to keep it ticking properly. You'd want to make sure that it was always able to do what it was supposed to do. Pump blood through your veins. You'd probably be more disciplined than you'd ever been before in your life because you want to take care of that new heart for which you are eminently grateful. And of course, of course you'll use that heart, right? You don't get a new heart in order to just sit on the couch and lounge and listen to it beat. But you get that new heart in order to do all the things that you wanted to do before that you couldn't do because you were short of breath and weak and tired and concerned that the next beat of your heart might be your last. If you've got a new heart that now works, that functions properly, what are you going to do? You're going to use it. You're going to go out and you're going to enjoy the world. You're going to play with your kids and your grandkids. You're going to take up running and fishing and all kinds of things that you couldn't do before because your heart wasn't working, but now it is. You use your heart. You don't get a heart transplant just to let it sit in your chest and beat away, but you get a heart transplant to put it to use. Now, when Ezekiel was prophesying to the people of Israel in our Old Testament lesson today, <clears throat> he didn't know anything about heart transplants. They weren't, uh, I don't think they successfully did a heart transplant until the 1960s. Uh, that's pretty recent in history. But it's not very hard to imagine just what Ezekiel describes. What does he say? He says, he re reports what God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He doesn't have to know about the surgery of a heart transplant to be able to picture what it's like to go from having a hard, stony heart that doesn't beat to having a new, living, fleshy heart that can pump blood throughout your body and energize you. That's an easy thing to picture. It's an easy thing to picture. And so, Ezekiel describes that to the people of Israel. He's preaching to them at a time when they are in exile. They've been sent away from Jerusalem and from the land of Judah because of their wickedness, because of all their bad habits, all the things that they did to destroy their hearts. God warned them time and again. He said, you need to stop. Stop worshiping other gods. Stop the idolatry. Stop your wickedness. Stop oppressing the widows and the orphans. Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, love one another and love me. This is what God said to them. He said, turn from your evil ways. But they wouldn't. They were stubborn and hard-hearted. They had stony hearts inside of them. And so he sent a foreign army to carry them off into exile. And it was with the hope, it was discipline, it was with the hope that they would repent. That they would see the error of their ways and turn to God in repentance and call on him for mercy. And in fact, they did, or at least some of them did. There was a remnant. There were some folks who, in exile, trusted in God and hoped that one day he would rescue them and bring them salvation. And that's exactly what God is prophesying through Ezekiel to the people of Israel. This is what he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. He's going to bring them home. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So all of the things that they'd done before, all of their sinful, wicked ways, he was going to wash away. He was going to sprinkle them with clean water so that those sins stained them no more. He was going to wash the idolatry out of their hearts. But there is a problem to consider. If they 
return home, if God brings them out of their land of exile and he returns them home to Jerusalem, what is it that is going to keep them from falling back into their old ways, from backsliding? Maybe you've heard that term before. Backsliding is a real problem, right? You experience some rescue from some trouble and then quickly forget what that rescue was like. You quickly forget the trouble that you were in. You quickly forget how grievous the sins are that you've committed. So what is, it, what is it going to be that is going to keep the people of Israel from falling back into their old ways? Well, this is the promise that God gives them. It's a beautiful, incredible promise. He's not going to just leave them with their old, hard hearts. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's a heart transplant. It's a new heart that he gives to them so that they no longer love the old things that led to the decay of their heart and destroyed the world around them and hurt their neighbors and did disservice and dishonor to God's name. He's going to take that old heart, which could not love good things, and he's going to give them a new heart, which does love what is good and right and just. A heart that loves what God loves and hates what God hates. That's the heart that he's going to give to them. And he's going to give them his own spirit so that their will can be conformed to God's will so that they can follow his ways. It's an incredible promise. And it's a promise that is for you as well. For this is exactly what God did to you in baptism. Even that language of sprinkling clean water on you. How can that not call to mind what God did for you in baptism? Where he took you from the land of exile, the land of darkness, this world that you live in, the kingdom of Satan. He took you from that land and brought you home and sprinkled clean water on you to wash away all your sins, to wash away all your idolatry. And what did he do? He gave you a new heart. He took the old heart out of you that was sinful and loved wicked, terrible things, and he put a new heart inside of you. It was a heart that you had, the old heart. It was a heart that you had even from birth, even from the moment you were conceived. It's a heart that you had from the moment your mother conceived you in her womb. And it's a heart that loved wicked things even from the first breath that you took. We, didn't, we don't really see it very well when we look at infants. We don't see them loving terrible wicked things. But there it is from the beginning. And that's why we baptize even babies. Because even babies need a new heart. And that's exactly what God has done. He's given them, he's given you a new heart. So now here's the question. Just like somebody who receives a heart transplant needs to think about how they should live their life going forward. The same question is for you, Christians. How do you live your life going forward with a new heart? Well, naturally, you abstain from all of the terrible things that made your heart sick in the first place. Here are a few of the things that Peter, Peter talks about. He says we should be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Earlier in First uh, Peter chapter 4, he talks about all of the things that the pagans do, the Gentiles do, living in sensuality and passions and drunken, drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. He lists all of these things, and they don't have to be quite so dramatic, even just envy and greed and gossip and despising God's word and neglecting his sacraments. Those are the things that destroy a person's heart, and those are the things which a person with a new heart will avoid, because those are the things that made you sick in the first place. But we don't just stop there with avoiding the things that are bad for us, but we also exercise our hearts. We put our hearts to use. What do you have a new heart for? It's not just to sit there and let it beat away inside of you. What's your new heart for? It's for love. 
It's for loving God and for loving your neighbor. And of course, just as with a physical heart, the best way to exercise your heart and keep it healthy is actually to use it in the same way. The best way for you to exercise your heart is by putting it to use in loving God and loving your neighbor. And the single best way to love God is, of course, to hear his word and receive his gifts, to receive the forgiveness and mercy that he pours out, you, pours out for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. In doing that, your heart is nurtured and strengthened in faith and love. And you love your neighbors. This is what Peter said. He said, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly. For love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When you do that, when you think about loving one another and you exercise your heart in love, you strengthen it. You put away the bad habits that killed your heart in the first place, and you put your new heart, which is God's heart, the heart of Christ, for that is the cost that it was required, that was required in order to give you a new heart. Just as somebody had to die in order to give a heart transplant to a patient lying in a hospital bed, somebody had to die in order to give you a new heart. It was a cost that was not gold and silver, but the precious blood of Jesus, as a lamb without spot or blemish. That was the cost, and that is the gift that you have. And that is the power of the new heart that you've been given. Love as great as the love that God has showed for you in Christ Jesus. So put your heart to use. Exercise it. Keep it fit and strong for the day of the Lord. And be prepared. There's kind of a, a turn that we hear in our texts today. We should be prepared. This is what Jesus said. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away because, he says, they will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, the fiery trial when it comes upon you in order to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The fiery trial. Trials are coming for Christians. They come for every Christian who lives a Christian life. And the question is, why? Why do they put the Christians out of synagogues? Why do they persecute Christians? Why do they think they're offering service to God when they insult and blaspheme and kill Christians? Why does the world think that? Well, it has to do with your new heart. So think about the world that you live in. It's a world that is full of people who are suffering from bad hearts, stony, hard, cold hearts. And you, Christians, have new hearts, living hearts, that lets you do exactly what a heart is meant to let a person do, to live and to love. And so the world can't bear it. It can't bear to see the love that you show to one another and that you show to God. Earlier in Peter, Peter said, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, they're surprised. The world is surprised when you do not join them, when you do not join with them in the flood of debauchery, all of the things that you used to do according to your flesh. They're surprised when you don't join in with them and they insult you for it. Because, of course, the person who lives with a new heart, a heart that conforms to God's will, a heart that loves what God's love, God loves, you bring judgment on the world. They see your good works, and it makes them feel guilty. It burdens their consciences. They don't understand how they should live with a new heart because they have bad hearts. They have guilty hearts, guilty consciences. And so the world can't bear it. And so persecution comes for Christians. 
And so be prepared. Exercise your hearts. The danger, Jesus says, is not when the persecution comes. The danger is not when they throw you out of synagogues and when they kill you. That's not dangerous for you. Dying is not dangerous for you. What's dangerous is that when the persecution comes, you might fall away. Jesus says, I've told these things to you in order to keep you from falling away. And so, exercise your hearts. Keep them strong for that day. So that when persecution comes, you are able to withstand because your confidence is not in you, not in your works, not in your own heart, but in God alone, in Christ alone, and what he has done for you. And what a joy it is with your new hearts to bring God's love into the world. Because again, the love that you love, the love with which you love one another is not your own love, but it's God's love. You show the world what love looks like by exercising your hearts and putting them to use. And that is a gift that God supplies to the world through you. It's how God blesses the world through you, just as he promised to bless the world through Abraham's offspring and as he has done through Jesus himself and your love that pours out into the world. So be strong and courageous. Exercise your hearts. Be grateful always for the gift that God has given you and hold fast to his promises and the mercy that we have in Christ Jesus. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds In Christ Jesus. Amen.